This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Equalizer podcast. We're on the other side of mid-April now, and there is still no sign of when the NWSL season is going to resume. Preseason would be resuming. We have now passed the weekend where the NWSL season was supposed to kick off. And as we know, all sports around the country and really around the world have ground to a halt as people are trying to get a handle on the coronavirus. But we are back with Equalizer podcast each week. This week, we're going to be discussing our top five Woso memories of all time. And then we'll be reading some that got tweeted into us over the course of the last few days. My name is Dan Lawletta, Chelsea Bush, John Halloran are with me. And I'm going to just go ahead and start with one of my oldest, fondest memories of Woso. And then I'm going to let Chelsea and John take it. We're just going to do a little round table until we run out of them. And then we'll start reading some of them. But I'm going to immediately go back to... 2001, everyone who listens to me knows that I've been around for a long time. We even discussed that last week with the Woso Origins. But the Founders' Cup, the championship of the WUSA in 2001, was an absolutely fabulous soccer game. And not only was it a big deal for me personally, because it was my first year being in the media, and I got to be at the game, and I got to write the recap for the game that showed up on WUSA.com. But the game was extraordinary. So many times you see finals that are conservative, and a lot of people have watched the 99 final in the last few years. And, you know, they've come out of that saying, yeah, it's a great game for the history of women's soccer, but it really isn't a great game to go back and watch. Founders Cup 1 was fabulous. There were goals early. There were goals near halftime. There were goals late. There was uh, Nikki Serlenga hit the, I can't remember if it was the post or the crossbar, right at the end of either regulation or the first, what was then sudden death extra time. CC for the Cyber Rays was incredible in that game and then hurt her hamstring and had to come out and didn't play in the extra time. And it ended when Julie Murray hit a PK by Brianna Scurry to give the Cyber Rays the win in that game. But if she hadn't made it, or if the Atlanta beat who lost that game had made one or two others, the on-deck shooter for the Cyber Rays was Brandy Chastain. So we were one kicker away from Chastain on the anchor leg, shooting against Brianna Scurry, the two heroines of the 99 PK shootout, to either keep the Cyber Rays alive or win them the title. Turned out we didn't have to go that far, although... Um, we did have a Brandy PK in the semi against Gal Hong, who was the Chinese goalkeeper, but I could get off on a pretty big tangent. But that is a game that, you know, you I believe it is available somewhere on YouTube, but the, it's really poor quality. But if anybody can figure out any way to see that game with reasonable quality, highly recommended. Also, 20-plus thousand 
in New England for a game where there was one team in Atlanta and one team in California, and the game was up at Foxborough Stadium, the old Foxborough in New England. So fabulous game, great atmosphere, and that's my number one. And, John, Chelsea, you guys can fight it out for who goes next, and we'll just be off and running from here. Take it away, John. All right. So I'm going to go with um... – I'm going to go with a kind of an obscure moment and then build it into where it is today. So I want to start with the interview of Sam Mewis after the 2017 NWSL final. That's a good one. Um, Because, you know, they had just lost. They had just lost this very physical game where I think most neutrals would admit that Portland was playing some version of anti-football. And Mewis's determination uh, and maybe even simmering anger in that post-game interview and then everything that has come after that. They have been, since that moment, the most dominant team in the league. Their run in 2018 where nobody could even come close to match them. Then in the semifinals, they end up having to go to Portland because of the hurricane relocated semifinal. They beat Chicago. Then they beat Portland in front of Portland's uh, home crowd in that final and then leading up to this 2019 season where obviously they ran rough shot on everybody. They beat Portland 6-0 in Portland. They absolutely destroyed Chicago in the final. And I just think that if you take that moment, that that post-game interview of 2017 and carry that forward through those two years, that was kind of the foundation that was built after the original foundation. So we all know the story about them drafting Mewis and Dull Kemper and Hinkle um, back in 2015 and how that built into the 2016 championship. But what we've seen since then, and for me, and I, I talked a little bit about this the night of the final when we had this pod, but this league is at least ostensibly set up for parody. And, we know that there's talent in every market in this league. And yet North Carolina, you know how they're going to set up. You know exactly how they're going to play. They've been doing it this way for years and nobody has figured out how to stop them. No one has really come close. Um, it's, it's, we can laugh about that underdog mentality that Riley you know, talks about, but it works. Their national team players like Mewis are bought in. Mewis is a player who came up through the league and they have developed a dynasty. And um, I think one of the watershed moments in that was that, uh, that post game moment with Sam Mewis in the 2017 final. Can I just say, John, that it's been about two and a half years since that game. And you have impressed me because that is the first time I have ever heard anything related to that game be used in a best of list (laughs) yeah the game itself wasn't very good was it no it was awful and (laughs) mewis actually hit the crossbar didn't she from like midfield like in the first half she launched one and it hit the she caught um branch napping and it hit the crossbar and I, i think if that goes in the courage win that game I think the only thing I remember from that game is the fouls. It was, yeah, it was, it was not a good scene. But congratulations on on getting that on the on the best of list. Chelsea, you're up. 
Wow, I'm not sure how to follow that. Um, so I'm gonna go. Mine, my first pick is not quite as as obscure as the two of you, but it does kind of, I guess, go along with what John was saying. But I'm gonna go back to to what I think is the most, and pardon the phrase I'm about to use, balls to the wall game of soccer I I might have ever seen in my life, and that is the 2016 semifinal between Portland and Western New York at the time, which became North Carolina Courage. Um, I think that game had everything but a straight red, if I recall correctly. I think it was it was very physical. It was kind of a preview of things to come um, when those two teams would meet later. But that was when when um, the team that would become North Carolina Courage really was the scrappy underdog at that point in time. I, I think people tend to forget there was a time when, when, first of all, when Western New York wasn't very good. And then when they did have to just kind of sneak up on people, scrape their way into the playoffs thoroughly battle in this insane game in, in the loudest stadium in the WSL and then make it to the final and get to penalty kicks and extra time on a, a header. It's just, it's insane to me that that team has come so far and what really is kind of a short period of time. But I think you go back to that semifinal and, and you can see the, the beginnings of, of that dynasty, the players being bought in, fighting Sam Mewis, again, single-handedly fighting to keep them in that game, to bring them back. And I, I still go back and I watch that game sometimes, and I'm, I'm just amazed. It, it is the most insane game of soccer I think I, I've seen, at least in, in recent memory, and certainly in the WSL, even more than that crazy Seattle uh, Sky Blue game. Yeah, that game is on my list, too, actually, so I don't have a lot more to add to it. But I will say that there are, I think, four games in women's soccer where I can remember being instantly riveted to the game and remaining riveted until the very last second. And that was one of those games. I believe Sabrina D'Angelo almost had a blunder and let a goal in in the first minute and that Abby Dalkemper had to clear and would be equalizer off the line in like the 122nd minute. Uh, but just two things to add from that on a little bit of a tangent. Number one, nobody thought the Flash were going to win that game, especially when they were up 2 nothing, and the Thorns came back and equalized. But I can remember at the start of that season, I called a game when the Flash were at Sky Blue. It was their fourth game of the season. They hadn't yet scored in the run of play the entire season, and they actually did, I think, you know, they won that game with a late goal. I think they were down 1-0 and then came back and won it 2-1. to But it wasn't like that Flash team came of age immediately when when Paul Riley got there. And, you know, I think that's a jumping-off point. You know, John, you talked about the draft in that 2016 game. But, yeah, that that's also on my list. Extraordinary game. I don't think it's a conversation if you say what's the best game in the history of the NWSL. I think that game's number one. And the other games are, you know, impressive other games, but I think everything else is down the line. So that's my second one right there. So do you want me to jump back in then? Please. Sorry is to it... steal your thunder there, Dan. No, it's all good. <laughs> we knew this all would happen. Good. We knew we would overlap. All good. You're just upset that we maybe view things sort of the same way sometimes. I refuse to admit that. <laughs> is it okay if I jump in with uh, international games? or Yeah, yeah. Stick with... Okay, so um, I just want to say before I start, because I skipped the 99 World Cup and the 2015 World Cup finals, because I think you could probably build Mount Rushmore from four moments 
in that in, in those games and you guys might have some of those too so i'm going to jump to some different ones um i want to start my international list with the 2019 world cup quarterfinal uh the u.s beating france 2-1 in paris uh beating the host nation and and just the uh i the moment for me is just the atmosphere. It's not really even the game itself. I remember when we were sitting in that stadium before kickoff, you know, maybe an hour before kickoff, it really seemed like the crowd might be like a 50-50 U.S.-France mix, but then the French fans kind of came in a little bit closer to kickoff, and it was more 70-30, I would guess. And the atmosphere before the game, when they were pumping the crowd up, but then really when... Uh, France got one back and it was two to one late in that game. The crowd, finally, the French crowd, part of the crowd finally really got into it. You started hearing the Ale Le Blue chants and it was really a chilling uh, atmosphere to be a part of, to be, to be in that uh, crowd at Parc de Prince and um, experiencing the last 10 minutes of that game were, were really remarkable and not only, you know, what the U.S. did, but remembering that the first game of, of last year was the U.S. losing to France in France. So that this game had been built up ever since the draw. Everybody had anticipated that this was the game. And just sitting through the last 10 minutes of that game, listening to the crowd and being in that atmosphere. When you say 70-30, did you mean U.S. 70-30? No, France, I thought. I thought it was... Early on, I just remember the feeling like before kickoff, it really seemed 50-50. But then when the crowd filled out, I felt like the French fans really made a much bigger. I don't know. What was your impression? Well, we had a slightly different viewpoint because I was in the stands for the game. You were with the press. Was the press in and among the fans for that game? Mm, I mean, we were. It's like a. it was. I don't even know what you'd call it. It was basically. Yeah, there was no press box. Kind of like the final, the, the games in Lyon. Um, yeah, exactly like that. So you were, yeah, so you're kind of with the, with the crowd. I would, I thought it was more U.S. than France, and maybe because I was a little bit disappointed that, not that there were a lot of U.S. people, that part was great, but I thought, you know, I was maybe hoping there would be more French support sure. for that sort of game. Because, I mean, that game was, you know, since December, everyone knew that game was the most likely scenario. I do think it, it took until the last maybe 20 minutes of the game for them to get into it. And then the last 10 minutes, I thought their chanting and singing really took over the environment. Yeah. Completely agree with you there. I think once they scored that goal, like you said, once Renard got that goal, that's as loud as I've ever heard a women's soccer stadium and really probably pretty close to any stadium I've ever been in in my life. All right, Chelsea, you're next. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the interview. So the way I'm gonna talk about uh, who was formerly an international player. Um, so my next moment is Amy Rodriguez's first goal for Utah, and that's because it was the first goal she scored after her ACL, which of course came about one goal in 48 minutes after coming right. back from having her second child. Right. Right. And so I, I just, as a woman, to see other women, you know, I, I don't think. And I've never had kids, so I can't speak for this any more than you two can. But I don't think anyone <laughs> understands like how difficult it seems to be to come back to be an elite athlete after having a child. And to see women do it multiple times, to do it over again, and then to get back to an extremely high level. And, and to be able to produce 
is just very inspirational for me. And especially for her having just about two years off um, that, that moment, you could just see the relief for her to kind of, to get that one off her back to be like, okay, you know what? I, I can, I can still do this. And yeah. Maybe she's not the same player she was, you know, 10 years ago, but to see that she still has those floppy ankles was just very, very touching for me. Now, you know, you actually mentioned a goal that I don't remember. And I know she scored one. I don't I don't remember her first goal. Do you remember the details? I, I, I don't. I don't think it was anything special. I just know that it was her first goal for, for Utah, was the first one after her ACL. And yeah. I just remember feeling like, oh, my. Like, I was so, I don't even know her personally. Like, I, I've talked to her. I've met her, obviously. She's a very nice person. But it's not like we're friends. But I felt so happy for her. And that's not a feeling I get a whole lot in soccer. Because generally, as a person, I was like, you have worked so hard. And it's nice to see people kind of get the, the rewards for what they've, they've worked for. You know, when you bring this up, I can remember the game when she came back from the pregnancy against, I think, Boston. And she scored that goal. And she looked like a million bucks for about 60 minutes. And then she tore her ACL. I can remember the yeah. look on her face when she went down. Like you could see the resignation and the realization on her face about what happened. And that I, I don't know that there are that many more impressive comebacks when you double that up because like you said, a year off for pregnancy and then a whole other year for the ACL. So she basically went like more than two years and played an hour of soccer. And yeah, she's been pretty good since then. Not not what she was, but you know, still a very effective player. Ankles are still floppy. Ankles are still floppy. All right, let's do one more round each before we head to uh, the break. And uh, I'm going to, I'll go to the international stage as well, and I'll go to the 2012 Olympic semifinal. Maybe that's a little bit of a gimme. And that was actually on the other night. I did not stay up. I have it recorded, so I may go back and watch it at some point. And so much happened in the game. It was, of course, USA 4, Canada 3. And we remember the Morgan goal to win it at the, I guess, stoppage time of extra time. And we remember the weird call against McLeod when they refereed <laughs> in the U.S. the indirect free kick for holding the ball too long. And I'm glad you had that reaction because it's just one of the silliest calls I've ever seen. And then a really poor handball call on Marie Nolte coming back, you know, on the recycle after the free kick. But what I took away from that game was Christine Sinclair Scored the hat trick. She gave Canada the lead three different times. Yep. I don't know that I've ever seen a more inspired performance by an athlete in any sport, in any one specific individual game. There's obviously a few others that come to mind that contend. But Christine Sinclair was so inspiring in that game. Um, I just I can't get that out of my mind. And I have been rooting hard for Christine Sinclair to do something for Canada. Since then, I think it was really impressive that they came back and beat France the next game to win the bronze. They got another bronze at the last Olympics in 2016. I think it is telling that Canada has never beaten the U.S. since then. That was supposedly the moment where they drew even or had their big opportunity. They did have that big opportunity. Maybe they should have won that game. Maybe they should have won the Olympic gold medal that year. But the inspirational performance of Christine Sinclair in that game. I will never forget. Yeah. For, for the record, I just want to say I am on the, I, I think Canada should have won that game. I think that they, they deserved it. I think they got some 
as you alluded to, some shady calls that kind of went the U.S. way. But yeah, that was, God, what a game. Yeah, one of the other games where as soon as that game started, you were riveted. And then obviously when the game winner happens in the 122nd minute, you're riveted to the end. Yeah, I had this one on my list too. Um, and just to to reiterate some of this stuff, I mean, literally <clears throat> my notes say Christine Sinclair had one of the greatest single game or single history, uh, single greatest games in history. Um, and I had the five second call on all of that. A couple of things just to add on to that. Um, the U.S. had lost in the world cup final the year before that. So this, I, this Olympic, I thought was very important for the U S to kind of get back on track in that regard. So this win setting up that uh, rematch in the final against Japan and um, the physicality of this game. I don't know if you guys remember that, the head stomp. Yep. Tancredi on Carly Ooh, Lloyd. Yeah. And, and that's where was, Canada got a favor. Cause she should have been off in that oh, game. For sure, for sure. And the rivalry at this time, now the rivalry isn't what it used to be, but this was kind of, uh, this is probably the peak moment of the Canada-U.S. rivalry. And then one last thing I'll add, because I think the moment is Morgan scoring the goal, which seems obvious, but I think in retrospect, people don't remember Alex Morgan at that moment. Morgan at that moment, this was really her first year starting. She didn't start. Uh, the games in the 2011 World Cup. She was a sub during that World Cup. And 2012, I thought she had one of the single greatest years. Uh, I thought she should have won the FIFA Player of the Year that year. And she didn't. They gave it to Wambach that year. But then also Morgan scoring with her head. When she had come onto the scene, she was known primarily for her ability to get in behind with her speed. And this really showcased... Um, how she had a more dynamic game than I think a lot of people gave her credit for her ability to battle physically and battle in the air. Yeah, that's well said. And I agree. She should have, that was her 2020 year, right? 20 goals, 20 assists. It was. Yeah. And it was, I think they gave it. Well, I think one, they give award FIFA awards are given out based on reputation more than anything else. But they probably also gave it to Wambach just because of, you know, where she was in her career versus Morgan kind of being the upstart. But Morgan had the better year. Well, I was going to say nothing, you know, FIFA does you a favor by not making you their player of the year because, I mean, they just don't give it to the best player. It just very rarely happens. All right, Chelsea, one more and we'll take a little break. All right. um, So mine is the 2011 quarterfinal U.S. versus Brazil, but it's not the moment that everyone thinks, and that that moment was very epic. But for me, what come when I think of that game, I, I also I think about sitting on the very edge of my seat and watching Ali Krieger go up to take that that penalty kick, yeah. and thinking, oh, I I've never seen her score. I and and like Morgan in twelve, Ali Krieger was very very unknown. This was kind of when she kind of came onto the scene was the two thousand eleven World Cup, and. I was just like, oh, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen here. And it wasn't that I didn't have faith in whoever the U.S. put up. I just very much did not know what was going to come. It wasn't a particularly great penalty kick, but it was on frame. It got the thing done. And I remember even though this, wasn't, this was a quarterfinal, they still had to, to beat to the semifinal to get into the final. But for me, that was the moment I was like, oh, so those – I felt like at that time – 2003, 2007, those kind of, kind of what we would consider maybe down years for the U.S., I felt like those were over. 
even though we'd been winning Olympic golds during that time, I felt like the World Cup drought was was coming to a close. Had to wait four more years. Didn't quite expect that. But for me, that was the moment I was like, okay, this team is this team is on to something. This team is is, is gonna. She's she's putting it together. They're gonna do that, and it comes down to that PK that I had no idea what to expect um, when this outside back had stepped up to the spot. John, is that on your list also? It, it is. Do you want me to just go over some yeah, additional? Yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, I, yeah, this is such a classic game. And I, I do, I can still watch that Pino to Wambach service in the 122nd minute and still get chills just watching. I think it's one of the most awe-inspiring moments in the history of soccer, period. But um, just a couple other things from that game that I think we forget. Uh, Rachel Bueller had the red card. And solo oh, saved. Oh, I haven't the, forgotten that. And, and solo Still saved the, PK, the. She saved the penalty, and then they retook it. I think Rampone maybe had been early. Yep. Into the area. It was a couple of them, wasn't it? And so they they it might have been, but then they retook it, and then um, a couple other things from this one that really stick in my memory. Um, I thought. And, and I know some people will probably fiercely disagree with me. I thought Marta kind of threw herself into that tackle a little bit, uh, that the way that the way that she went up in the air from that tackle seemed a bit unnatural. So I think maybe she was making the most of, of Bueller's challenge, but the flick that Marta took to spin Bueller on that play was remarkable. And then she does something similar on the goal to put Brazil ahead in extra time, which is what set up the Wambach moment. Uh, Marta had that weird, that ball came across the middle and she scooped it over solo and it like bounced and went off the post and went in. And that was really the era, you know, we talked about in the 2012 semi Canada being the peak of that rivalry. This was kind of one of those peak Brazil moments where it looked like Brazil finally was going to get over the hump with the U S um, one other thing I remember is the time wasting, which I remember as being uh, very much a non-neutral watching this game, being infuriated with the Brazilians. I can't remember what the defender who I think it was having the back injury that she would miraculously recover from. Once, <gasps> yes, once she was, you know, she'd need all sorts of help, and then they'd they'd haul her off the pitch, and then once she was back on the on the half line, when they'd wave her on, she'd sprint back, the stretcher, on, and walk com- on, completely healed. Um, so that, and then, uh, I also remember I was at my in-laws when this game was on and I remember I was, I put this game on in, in their living room and everybody in the house and they had some guests over and everybody was ignoring the game. Everybody was outside <laughs> and eating. I know where this feeling. is. <laughs> I'm like watching the game by myself, but of course, by the end of that game, every single person in that house was in that living room living every breath of that game. And it was one of those matches that just had that ability to pull people in. I'm the contrarian that I don't have this one on my list. Um, I, I mean, I, I, the moment is one of the biggest moments maybe in sports when you consider what it, that moment did for this particular sport. Uh, but two other things. I, I just I don't feel like it's a classic game. I feel like it's a classic moment. But... Um, two other things. Number one, the Bueller red card led to the sort of birth of Becky Sauerbrunn as a regular because she started the semi and was great. Didn't play in the final, 
But from that point forward, she was basically the regular center back and still is. And on the service to Wambach, there's that moment as you're watching it. And I remember thinking this when I watched it happen live. There was a moment when you're like, that ball's going to, you know, that service is on point. There is no way Wambach's not putting that ball in the back of the net, right? Did you? I thought like it was too high. And then I thought Wambach was was... way too tight of an angle. I thought she hit it too hard. Well, I don't. The fact that it it got to Wombach when it did it, I feel like it kind of defies physics there for a minute. Yes, it does. I just thought that when I realized that she was going to get her head on it, I thought I knew she was going to score. That's that's the way I viewed it anyway. Split second, so who knows? Who knows? Could have gone many different ways. I thought you were going to say when you were watching that moment, Rapino should have gotten rid of the ball earlier because I remember thinking, like, why are you dribbling it up the field? Just launch it forward. Well, the thing was, there was a Brazilian defender in there, I believe, holding Wambach on side. So that, I think, gave that gave Rapino a little bit more opportunity to serve the ball she really wanted because it wasn't a timed run as it should have been because Brazil was, Brazil was a mess. You know, the time-wasting that was infuriating you while you watched it probably right. ultimately cost them that game because if they just dribble that, you know, they were – they were the better possession team with one extra player. They should have been able to see that game out easily, and they yeah. weren't up for it. It was a left foot, left-footed service too from Pino on that. Yeah, fan, as you said, fantastic moment, and it really did wake up the entire. I mean, that moment literally woke up what at the time was a bit of a dormant Woso America, and uh, you know it hasn't been a straight shot upward since then. But everything we're doing right now feeds back to that moment. All right, let's step out. We've got a couple more each to go through. We'll read some of the ones that were sent in to us via Twitter. Dan Lawletter with Chelsea Bush and John Halloran on the Equalizer podcast. Back on the Equalizer podcast, Dan with John and Chelsea with a reminder to check us out on the web at equalizersoccer.com. And for premium content, EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe. Not a whole lot going on in the women's soccer world right now, but we're doing our best to keep uh, the content cranking out to you. And hopefully sooner than later, we'll get back on the field for both the league season and the United States women's national team season as their Olympic Games have been postponed at least until 2021. We've been going over... Uh, some of our favorite women's soccer memories. And I'm going to throw out an interesting twist here from the 2015 uh, Women's World Cup. I know the final was not a great game, but uh, one of the iconic performances ever by Carly Lloyd, the midfield goal and all that. But I'm going to go, and this is is a little bit personal for me, the Germany-France quarterfinal in that World Cup. And I had flown to Canada that day and was going to the quarterfinals the next day in Edmonton. And I got to my hotel room after quite a long day of travel, literally turned on the television, and it was tuned to the channel, and they were standing at midfield ready to kick that game off. And that was another game that I thought carried me from the beginning of the game to the very end of the game. And if you remember, uh, it was Claire Lavogé that missed the PK at the end, and I can remember the visual of her crying in um, Philippe Bergeroux's arms after missing that PK. France had numerous opportunities to win that game and just 
couldn't quite get over the hump. They had chance after chance after chance, but that game was back and forth. And I remember being so tired watching that game, but desperately hoping for extra time because I needed to bridge the time between that game and the USA-China quarterfinal. And I really didn't want that much time in between because I needed to keep myself awake after traveling all day and didn't sleep a lot the night before. Um, so t- that game to me is one of those games that gripped me from the first whistle and kept my attention to the very end. And also a microcosm of all that has been France or all that was France in the decade of the 20 teens, just being how many times did they go out of big tournaments where you walked away saying they were probably better than the team that just put them out, but they've never been on a podium at any big tournament. And uh, who knows if that will end any time in the near future for France. But that's a bit of an odd one for me. France-Germany 2015 World Cup quarterfinal. Oh, you, you had to bring up Levesque crying. That's one of the saddest moments for me yeah, in the game. That was just heartbreaking. You know what, yeah. though? If it didn't mean enough for them to be upset, it wouldn't mean as much to them when it, they, they won. It was, yeah, it was France at its franciest, though. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> for sure that's kind of my takeaway from the semi, the quarter this past year is that as great as that atmosphere was and that game was I, when the US went up early I just never thought France had a chance in that game even though if you watched the game and didn't know the histories of the teams you would say this game's pretty even it just never it just never struck me that France had a chance to win that game yeah Chelsea, you want to take another one? Because I think John kind of used up his fourth one on that uh, (laughs) 2011 game. Sure. Um, Mine is a little bit different than what we've been talking about, kind of like the Amy Rodriguez thing. But um, I'm going to choose Heather O'Reilly's send-off match. Um, It's because there's so much about it that I felt like made the perfect send-off match. And I think sometimes we make too much of these retirement games. Um, But her getting that first assist because that's really what she's she's known for which i believe moved her to tie for fifth on the all-time assist list for the u.s so there's a little bit of trivia um getting a goal scoring you know nine goals for number nine um you know getting subbed off without a replacement it just encapsulated everything i thought that that is heather o'reilly i I thought she was underused under jill ellis but i think that you're not going to see someone accept that with more grace and, and willingness to do whatever it is that she needs to do for her team. And I think we also saw that in her playing outside back for the very last part of her career with the courage. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of players would have just said, you know what, I'm not going to be an alternate for my last international tournament. I'm just going to hang it up. And, and I will go to my grave saying that she should have been on that Olympic team and not Megan Rapino, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but I just, I don't think you're going to find a nicer or more hardworking player out there. And I, I just thought that game was was perfect for her. I don't usually like the games where the U.S. beats up on an undermatched opponent, but I, I thought there was a little bit something special in that one. And I, I just I remember it very fondly. I think Megan Rapino will go to her grave thinking Heather O'Reilly should have been on that Olympic team ahead of her. <laughs> I think Jill Ellis honest. might even go to her grave. I think the same so. Thing. We're being honest about it. You know, I heard a good Heather O'Reilly story recently that. Opening day 2016, um, she had a chance to tie for FC Kansas City with a PK in like the 89th minute, maybe later, and she hit the post. 
and they lost the game one nothing. And the coaching staff found her the next morning, the next morning, on a practice field working on PKs and also working on some shot from a spot that she had missed a sitter during that game. And they were like, "What are you doing? This is a recovery day. What are you doing?" And she was like, "I can't live with myself having missed that PK and having missed this." other opportunity and that was beginning of 2016 so i mean she had nothing left to prove at that time but that's what she was doing proving it or trying to prove herself every second and uh i thought that was a pretty cool story all right i'm gonna go um for my fifth and final one um and i'm gonna go back to 99 but not the game and not the celebration or the winning pk or what it meant but the moment when Christine Lilly cleared the ball off the line in sudden death, extra time. Yeah. There are, and I watch, as you guys both know, I watch about every sport there is, and I've been doing so for a long time. There's like four or five moments as I've watched sports where I feel like my heart skipped a beat for a moment. Not like the riveting game, like we've talked about, but the one moment. And you can see the ball go past Brianna Scurry. And she looks up, and in an instant, you're thinking, oh, my goodness, this is going to end with China winning. And then Lily clears the ball off the line. And then somebody else actually, I think, made a second touch to get it out of danger. That moment, which in the uh, in the Girls of Summer book, um, I think it was Tony DeChico called it an, ex- uh, an ordinary moment under extraordinary circumstances, which kind of defines Christine Lily's career. But that one moment i will never ever forget and that's yeah. my 99 moment that could go on the mount rushmore of moments i think for sure definitely and sudden death remember so the ball goes in it's over yeah that's why that's... i think like there's probably three moments from that game between lily's clearance scurry's save and then of course Chastain's Chastain's penalty yeah which by the way you get to go back scurry was like five feet I mean, both keepers were. It was the way they did. She was like five feet off the line. This past World Cup, you know, if you're if the back of your, you know, if you like scraped the back of your shoe and it wasn't on the back line, they were retaking them. Right. All right, that's it for me. So you guys are up. All right, my number five, a uh, little bit more obscure, is the 2008 Olympic gold medal match, and I don't think the match itself was that special. I think the whole tournament. The U.S. maybe didn't play great, but that was, I don't know if you guys remember, but that was the tournament that Wambach got hurt right before yep. uh, she broke her leg in one of the send-off match. And so they went into that tournament without their top forward, and they really had to grind their way through that tournament. And I remember very clearly that that game, I can't remember where the 2008 Olympics were at. Were they in Japan? No, eight was um, Athens. Okay, because I remember the no, game I was thought, on. I think 2004 was Athens. Okay, where was 08 then? Wow. Well, it doesn't really <laughs> matter. It, it, I remember the game was on at nine in the morning. Um, so I'm watching this game in the morning, and you know they're grinding their way. Again, this is playing Brazil, so this is the height of the U.S.-Brazil rivalry years. And uh, it was a really Beijing, by the way. Okay. And it was a really gutsy win. And it was Carly Lloyd scoring an extra time 
to secure the win and kind of the beginning of her run of, of big goals because she scored the game winner in 08 Olympic final, what the 2012 Olympic final, the 2015 world cup final. Um, but that tournament, the way that they had to push their way through that tournament without Wambach and then winning that game over Brazil. And wasn't Angela Hukles the leading yes. scorer on that team? Well, she was yeah. definitely the one that they used in place of Wambach. So, and I'm a big Angela Hukles fan. But when you think who's going to replace Abby Wambach, that's not the name that comes to mind. I think maybe Natasha Kai too was one of their forwards at that tournament. It yeah, was... she was. She was there. I don't. But yeah, I think Hukles was the the top scorer for the U.S., which is again a little bit unexpected, but. You know, that, that was also the tournament where, like, Rodriguez and, and Holiday and, and Heath kind of came up, wasn't it? Wasn't that the yeah. new kids tournament? I think it was. And there was also a Hope Solo save in that game that was off the charts unbelievable. And remember, she had been, like, ostracized from the team less than a year earlier. Yeah. And, be, yeah. and that, was a chi- that tournament was in China, too, right? The 07 World Cup? Yeah. Yes. That game, I left for work at about 4 o'clock in the morning to get to work in time to watch that game. And about 15 minutes in, um, was not too pleased that I had been up at 4 o'clock in the morning to watch the U.S. get toasted by, uh, I, by Brazil. Yeah, that's, I mean, a lot of similarities between those two games. Think about it. The one, both against Brazil, both in China, the one where Solo gets ostracized afterwards for speaking her mind, and the other where she... Kind of comes through. Yeah, that's good. That's a good call. It's a good call. Well, and they got pretty pretty well beat up in that 07 game too. Well, they and got there was, so this was this is a big. I mean, this is a year later too. This is a big turnaround. I mean, we talk about France. I think you can make a case that Brazil between that 07 tournament and the 11 tournament, they should have won something, and they never did. They got they. Because one year they got by the U.S., they still lost in the final to Germany. I think that's a lost opportunity for for Brazil, just as it has been for France. I mean, I, I think Germany was kind of unstoppable during that period, but they they yeah, they should have come away with. I mean, I guess you know a World Cup silver is not too shabby, Olympic silver is not too shabby, but that was the World Cup. Germany didn't give up a goal the entire tournament. I think. Was it that or was it 03? I just remember during that period, they were just head and shoulders above other teams. No, because 03, they were, weren't they down in the final? I think the final was 2-1. to one. Maybe then it had to have been 07. So I think it was 07. All right, do we have one more? Yeah, I do. Let's have it. Okay, mine is, I saved my, my most, probably my most obvious for last. And I know y'all kind of, skipped by it but i just have to go back to the midfield goal in the 2015 world cup final uh just for the pure audacity of, of that moment i mean you can look at the, the the pure soccer aspects of it of, of having the intelligence to look up recognize that the keeper's off her line know that you can you can make it from that from that distance in traffic while you're on the dribble um, a lot of good things go into that uh, but i just i think there are a lot of players that wouldn't try that in a lot of games much less the World Cup final. I think that game was, as we said earlier, not a great game of, of soccer, but it was nuts. It, it was kind of crazy from the beginning. And that, to me, having that goal to to wrap up a 16-minute hat trick in a World Cup final, it just encapsulates the pure craziness and, and 
nuts that is Carly Lloyd at some times. And it was, <laughs> I just, I remember I just fell out of my seat. I couldn't believe that she even tried it, much less pulled it off. And we could go into, you know, oh, was the sun was in the keeper's eyes and I think she got a hand on it, blah, 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 blah. The point is she did the thing. And I, that's always just something I will watch and watch and watch. It's like the, the Pinot to Wombat cross. I will just watch that goal till the day I die. I think it's a good moment though, too. Cause like if, if the U S wins that game five to two without that goal, like let's say there's a tap in somewhere else along, do we really think about it in the same way? Like, wasn't that the moment of the game? Yeah, that's a good call. That and the fact that it was a hat trick, but even that more so than the hat trick. Yeah. But let me ask you guys this, because I was there, and I think neither of you guys are both at home for that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I was I was supposed to be at a bar with a friend, and I woke up sick. So I was, like, all very congested, like, yelling very nasally at my TV from my living room. All right, but here's the question. When she winds up to take the shot, were you thinking it was crazy or because I can remember watching her wind up in the stadium and then everybody kind of glanced and saw the keeper was off her line. And we were like, wow, this one, this has a chance if she hits it well and she hit it perfectly. But I wonder if was, you know, was the perspective on TV a little different? Well, no, cause the perspective on TV at that moment is on her because they're not even, the TV cameras aren't even paying attention to the keeper. You don't see the right. keeper until it's right. too late. So yeah, she, I remember going, what the hell is she doing? <laughs> Yeah, yeah he, it's totally different when you watch a game in a stadium versus on television because you can't see everything off the ball in the same way. Mm-hmm. You also have to wonder, does she do that if it's no, if it's 0-0 zero, zero, as opposed to 3-0? She I, probably does. I think she does. I think Because, again, <laughs> that comes back to who Carly Lloyd is and then the zone yeah. she was in at that point in time. Yep. I think she absolutely does. Yep. And then, you know, we get in the press conference after that game, and obviously the questions are mostly for Carly Lloyd. She says, you know, I was – telling my trainer that I had a vision that I had been in the World Cup final and scored four goals. So, you know, three was cool, but it didn't meet my vision. <laughs> like, what are you she talking about? She could have about? had four, too. That's what's she crazy about yeah, that game. She, she absolutely easily had chances to make that four. No question about it. No question about it. All right, let's read some of uh, the stuff that came in here um, over the course of the last couple of days. Brandon Holmes. 2019 final courage versus red stars. I've been a courage season ticket holder since they joined the league and watching them has always been a joy, but that was maybe the most dominant finals performance I could ever hope to see live. Um, it's got to be right up there. I, I'm that and the one before that against Portland. I was about to say, but what about the one the year before? <laughs> yeah, you that know, was, yeah. You know, that's a good one. Maybe Portland played a little better than Chicago did, but yeah, it's been amazing. Um, Halley, 2011 U.S. versus Brazil, World Cup, 2012 U.S.-Canada Olympics, 2019 U.S. versus France, atmosphere. Halley, let us know, were you there, or was that uh, atmosphere that you saw on television? But that's uh, another very good one. Um, KTB, 2011 World Cup versus Brazil, 2015 World Cup final, and 2019 World Cup versus England. That's the game that kind of gets lost in the shuffle. That was a good game too, though. Yeah, England, it was. You know, England walks away from that game thinking they maybe could have, should have won that game. That was, I think, during that entire World Cup run for the U.S. The moment I, I thought they came closest to to losing. That uh, Ellen White, Ellen White was great. That game. Yeah, she was. 
Spain, I think, was a harder game maybe than some of the others, but I don't like Spain can't score, so that game. Yeah, could have see, been... I I felt like the U.S. could have wasted that the game, but I didn't necessarily think Spain had it in them to win. I thought England had it in them to to pull it off. I just think it was the U.S. England was a, was a good game. Excellent it was. game. It was. Ooh, I I was a ball of nerves. Um, Kiara Carly Lloyd game winner for both Olympics or hat trick in the 2015 World Cup, also the half field shot. Uh, how about the 2012 Olympics? I, full disclosure here, I was on a trip for that gold medal game, and I was up in the mountains with no internet access, thinking this is beautiful. I'm not going to find out who won. And it was actually on the front page of one of the newspapers in one of the grocery stores that the U.S. had won. Um, so I don't have a lot of memories of that game. Either one of you two, 2012 Olympic final? I mean, I think it gets overshadowed by the semifinal. Um you know, it was against Japan, so there's a little bit of redemption. I didn't ever feel like I felt like the U.S. was had it from the day the time it kicked off. Maybe not as much as they had it in 2015, but I, I thought they were the better team. I don't remember anything particularly outstanding from it, but just I was kind of glad they they beat Japan because 2011 hurt. And didn't we all kind of think Japan had a shot in that 2015 final? I think after 2011, you learn to not count Japan out because none of us thought they had a shot in 2011. Right. That's true. Um, all right. Uh, one other thing, by the way, about that 2012 semi, that game was at Old Trafford. It's one of the most hollowed grounds in soccer in the world, and that probably adds to the moment of that U.S.-Canada game. Amanda Silva, I'm from Brazil. My top favorite is the 2007 World Cup, U.S. versus Brazil. Cristiani, Daniela Alves, Marta, that team was amazing. Plus 2016 Rio Olympics, U.S., France, and Canada, Germany, because I was at the stadium, and it was a dream come true to be able to see all those top players in action. Great memory there. Thanks for sharing. Um, how about 2016? This is me talking. How about the 2016 Brazil-Australia Olympic quarterfinal? That was another... Oh, kind of helter-skelter game. That was brutal, though, to watch them afterwards. With the, uh, yeah, Marta missed the PK, right? But then it didn't cost them the game, but they wound up losing it. Oh, they won They won that PK shootout, but Marta missed one, right? I think so. It's. I just remember seeing Australia, this, it was Lydia Williams, who was just absolutely devastated. Yep. And they always have to cl- close in on the people that are crying. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> All right, Tim Dodge scoring for uh, Carly Lloyd score, scoring from midfield in the 2015 World Cup final. And um, official Ray Untamer. Uh, here's an interesting one Kelly O'Hara scoring against Germany to make it 2 0. That's obviously the 2015 semifinal. Um, and that was a pretty good goal. And you talk about a stroke of luck. Um, you know, the U.S. probably should have been down a goal and had Julie Johnston. Now Julie Ertz, red card in that game, didn't happen, well, and they get the PK. Carly scores, and Hire makes it two they, nothing. They should have been down a player. I don't know if I'd say they should have been down a goal. I almost put that game on my list, but not for the O'Hara goal. Though I will say, for your first international goal, that is a hell of a goal. That is yeah. quite the first one to get. But for me, the moment from that game was when Sausage missed her penalty because Solo went the wrong way. Yeah. Um, if she had put it just a couple more inches to the side, but and and. I always feel like you can count on Germans in PKs. They don't miss very rarely. And and whatever 
I hope Solo did the shaker off before that worked. And that, for me, was the moment I was like, oh, my God, we're going to win this World Cup. It, it goes back to the, down to that very moment. I remember it very, very clearly sitting and watching and thinking, whatever comes after this, we're going to win this game. We're going to win the final. When you say they shouldn't have been down one nothing, is that just simply because they, Germany had the chance and missed it? Well, yeah, you, you can't. I think, yeah, I think Ertz should have been, or Johnson at that time should have been sent off. And then maybe, um, I don't know, I guess, was it Whitney Anger or Christy Rampone plays the final? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, but I don't think that, that, that sending off Dirt Ertz changes them missing that, that PK. Ertz, by the way, this is an unpopular take. Worst player, worst American player in that final. How about that? Yes. In the final or the In the tournament? 2015 final. In the final. final. She had that own goal. She, she, she had a couple of mishaps. I agree. I remember the semifinal, obviously, that you guys were mentioning is, is bad. But I didn't, gosh, I don't even remember that. Maybe it's just because the U.S. dominated that game that I don't even yeah, remember. I mean, her score in that own goal at that, but by that point in time was a kind of a moot point. The U.S. was going to win, but yeah, I agree. She was she was easily the worst player, and probably both go, those games. To be honest, she had a hell of a tournament, but um, you could definitely see some nerves and and inexperience kick in there towards the end. Well, that that tournament too was ironic because that was Sauerbrunn was unbelievable in that, but didn't make the same type of noticeable plays that Ertz or Johnston made, and so Johnston made the. What was it? The best eleven team? Yeah, and didn't yeah. It's, it's more than eleven, but yeah, it's an all star team or something. Yeah. It, it was, yeah, that all star team was ridiculous. But it's also, it's, it's kind of like the best of. It's whoever they're talking about the most, right? And Her, you never um, talk about Becky Sauerbrunn because she never, she does things five steps ahead before you need to talk about it. She was the best player in that tournament, and ironically, Ertz was the best player I thought in this past World Cup. And and Sauerbrunn had some some iffy yeah, moments in this past she one. Did. There is no question about that. Um, I think that's all we got. Any honorable mentions? An honorable mention for me uh, is just Rapino taking her golden boot, um, her golden ball trophy after the World Cup this year and just standing there and realizing she had the entire sports world in the palm of her hands in that moment because I've never seen a player dominate on and off the field like she did at this last World Cup. So that, that's one that almost made my list. See, I almost considered Rapino taking a knee for the anthem because no matter what your your politics are, to see someone recognize that she has a platform and and to use it for something that she believes in passionately, I think is is very inspiring. And I think she's continued to to speak up uh, because she has that opportunity that the other people don't have. You know, Chelsea, I was going to ask you because you mentioned the O'Reilly sendoff game. Wasn't that the first time that Pino knelt for a U.S. game in that I... game in Columbus? It was it right around been. that time. It might have so been. Think, I think that was the first, because I just remember it being overshadowed, or not O'Reilly being overshadowed in that game, because I, I think that was the first time that, that she had done it. Yeah, you might be right. And ironically, when she did that, because she first did it Labor Day weekend, I think, for the rain. And John, was that in Chicago? Yeah, she first knelt in a NWSL game in Chicago, and then they... And then they had the, was it October international break a week or two later? Because then I'm trying. I think I it was exactly. September, but it was definitely the fall of 16. Yeah, because there was the Chicago game. And then the week after was the the Spirit game where they played the anthem when they were in the locker rooms or whatever. And then somewhere, right. I can't remember where the international break fell, uh, fell in that. 
And the ironic part of that, Chelsea, is that by kneeling back then, she almost cost herself the platform that she wound up having. She did, and I've always kind of criticized her a little bit for, for backing down when, when the fire got hot because the people that she's supposed to be standing up for don't have the option to back down. Um, but I, I still think she has kind of gone on and, and used the platform that she has to to speak up for, for what is right and what is wrong in this country. Right, and U.S. soccer also kind of, I think she had backed down before that, but U.S. soccer put out that, ruling which i think happened during the next year she believes cup that yeah. everybody had to stand for both teams but i think she's taken that and said fine i'll stand but i'm going to do all these other things and one way or another i'm going to get my message out and by the way i'm still going to be good enough that you're not going to be able to get rid of me you're going to i'm going to make you take me to all these tournaments and speak out which is why i just am so impressed with what she's done in the last year any other fun parting Parting shots, um, honorable mention moments. I uh, I thought about Sam Kerr's four goal game for a while. I think that's pretty notable for the NWSL. Crickets. Yeah, I, I would know. Uh, yeah, that was great. <laughs> I, I, think I was at that game. A couple of like individual moments. I remember there's been a handful of Kristen Press goals in the league that were just jaw dropping. There was one where she turned um, Yale Averbush. Um, and and just bent one into the far corner. That's one of the best goals I ever saw. And then there was that one in 2015 where she ran at the entire Western New York Flash defense and scored. Um, and that was when their center backs were Engen and Dahlkemper. Um, so there's been a few of those individual moments too. Yeah, the uh, the the curve four. The thing about the curve four goal game. Somebody tweeted at halftime of that game. This might be the least compelling NWSL match I've ever seen. And it was so true. It was 3 nothing rain at Sky Blue. The game was literally non-competitive. And Sam Kerr just literally put the team on her shoulders in the second half. And don't forget, she missed a PK. She had to crossbar with a PK to win that game. And they recycled, and the rain never touched the ball again. And then Kerr, who's a 5 foot nothing, went up with a header for a fourth goal to win it in stoppage time. All right, one more thing before we go. Um, we invited some more origin emails. So Amy Morris sent one in midweek, grew up with season tickets to the WUSA Courage, and those games turned into my favorite childhood memories. I always loved the women's national team and discovered the NWSL when the Courage moved back to town. Loved every minute since. Easy to love when you're winning the Shield and the title every year, but hopefully you <laughs> Here around for the long haul, Amy, and thanks for sending that in. Uh, John and Chelsea, thanks for sharing the memories. We'll come up with another great topic uh, to banter about next week. Thanks for listening to the Equalizer podcast. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You're over the big three carriers. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Now you can get unlimited with 5G included for just $30 a month on the nation's fastest, most reliable network. So break free from the big three and save with Xfinity Mobile. Take the savings challenge at XfinityMobile.com slash savings to see how much you can save when you get Xfinity Mobile and Internet together. Reduced speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Most reliable based on route metrics U.S. report. Results vary, not an endorsement.